going to be continued. Now, uh, it's really exciting when we kind of look at what we've been doing. We went, uh, we were in the book of Exodus. We were in there for 100 messages. And in the book of Exodus, what we did was we really saw pictured uh, the, the deliverance. We saw the deliverance. So we saw really a picture of salvation. Then when we moved from there, we actually moved into the, the wilderness. And we saw there, that's the Christian life. That's here we are facing the challenges. And we've reached now the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua is about actually getting into the promised land. It's about reaching that abundant life with God. So as we're going to read into our message today, we're going to figure out kind of where we were last week. We were in the book of Joshua. We were in verses 1 and verse number 2. Verse 1, what we saw there was God kind of set the context and said, look, this is the situation. This is what's going on. Moses is dead. And then we saw that Joshua then hears from God for the very first time in his life. And God spoke to him as he was commissioning him to take on his role as a leader. In verse chapter Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people under the land, which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. And what was interesting is the fact that we saw in this commissioning, we saw four different aspects of the commissioning. We saw that as God was calling him, we also saw in this, we saw the character of Joshua sort of revealed. And we also saw God's expectations for those that will follow him. So first we saw that Joshua waited on God. We saw that God, Joshua waited on the Lord. And this is a picture of humility. This is a picture of dependence. As Joshua did not uh, simply say, hey, you know what, I'm going to do this on my time and whenever I choose to, what actually happens here, he's modeling something that we all need to do, which is wait on the Lord. This can be difficult for all of us. We all have an issue struggling with this, something we should model in our lives. Then secondly, we saw here that he humbly responded to God's call. He was in a, uh, a posture where he had to arise. He had to come up. So he was humble before the Lord. He was submitted before God, which is something that is sometimes difficult for us. Walking a life that is in submission of God's will and God's timing is sometimes difficult. And the fact that we kind of go, look, you know, but I can do this one on my own, Lord. I got this one. And God says, no, no, no. Just trust me. Submission. So we look at this, and we talked about, there were several verses that we mentioned. We looked at James 4.10. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of God, in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And what we see here is the promises that Joshua's receiving. Guess what? We also are receiving them. Here's a promise of God's presence, God's presence in our life. He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he says, he shall lift you up. God says, look, I'm going to lift you up and use your life. And then we also see that there was a promise that God gives us in James 4.7, where it says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And there's a promise of God's protection saying, look, you know what? You're going to face the enemy. There's no doubt about it. The thing is, I'm giving you an opportunity through submission, through humility to rise against your enemy. This is an area where many of us struggle with this aspect of trusting God's promises. And God says, look, you know what? I've told you what to do. Humble yourselves, and guess what? God will lift you up. So submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He says hum humility and submission. And each one of these steps, what we're going to see is Joshua last week was surrendering to God. What we see here is this is a matter of his faith and trust in God. This is instrumental in these things going forward. It's not something we do in our flesh. It's not something we do as we go through the motions. It's a submission to the Lord. Third, we saw that Joshua allowed God to set his path. He allowed God to establish his path. He didn't come with a game plan. He didn't have a predetermined path or a setup system. He says, look, this is what I'm going to do. He came going, Lord, you know what? You direct me. Wherever I'm to go from here, you direct my, my path. This is a matter of employing what we would call dying to self. Right? We've been talking about that on Wednesday nights, what it means to die to self. This is where we say, look, you know what, God? I surrender. Not my will, but your will be done. Lord, I am going to wait on you, and I'm going to trust you. 
And it's a matter of allowing God to set our path. And what we look is, as you and I, as we deal with this life and as we go through the challenges that we all face, we can do it one of two ways. We can do it trusting in ourselves and we can establish our path. We can go and follow our flesh and we can go our own way, as the Bible says that we tend to do in Isaiah 53. And what we find is the fact that when we do that, inevitably we have regrets. Inevitably, we will end up going the wrong way. Reason being, you and I cannot serve God in our flesh. It's an impossibility. And then lastly, we saw Joshua trusted the promises of God. He trusted the promises. And God reiterated the promises to, Mo, to Joshua not to remind him, oh, hey, guess what? Did you remember I gave you the land? It wasn't that. What he was doing is he's saying, I'm just simply trying to encourage you and motivate you because I'm inspiring you for what's to come. I want you to realize that the victories that you've not even, the battles you haven't even fought yet, guess what? They're already won, Joshua. They're already one. He wants him to simply understand that key. And what we find is it was Joshua's great faith, which he displayed 40 years earlier, the same faith that he had then. It's this faith in God. It's his confidence in God that allows him to confidently walk into the promised land. So as you and I hear these things about Joshua's character and we, we go, wow, you know, those, that's good. I need to apply these. I need to apply these. What we're going to see today is we're going to be in Joshua 1 verses 3 through 5 is we're going to see God further preparing him for what's to come. Again, remember, we had the deliverance, then we had the wilderness, which so many people die in the wilderness, so many people never reach that abundant life, and here we are at the border, and this is this aspect of we're going to try to claim the victory that God has already provided for us. So what God's doing in Joshua is in preparing him, he's preparing us, okay? Preparing us. And this, our message today is called God is with us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for giving us this time, God, thank you for the hearts of the people of God, Lord, to hear from you. Lord, I do, and you know that I have prayed throughout this week. I have prayed over this message, God, and I have asked you and begged you to speak to my heart. And Lord, I know that you have. So Lord, now uh, that I have that, uh, help me, uh, Lord, to deliver what you want me to deliver, the way that you want it to be delivered. That would be guided by the Spirit, not by the flesh, not by my will, not by my desires, but Lord, by yours. And I pray, God, that you will give us exactly what we need. Give me what I need, Lord. If no one else receives from this message, God, help me to have ears to hear that you might speak to my heart. Lord, we don't want to be informed. We want to be transformed. So please help our hearts to be ready to be transformed today as we learn in examples through Joshua. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So. As we look at this, as we left off last week, now we were in verse 2, and when verse 2 wraps up in this phrase here, it says here in Joshua 1-2, this is the last part of it, it says, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. So as we see here, God's going to reaffirm four different things to Joshua in these next three verses. He's going to affirm, reaffirm four different things. Joshua 1, verses 3 through 5. Every place that the roll, that the, the roll, the roll of your foot, or the sole of your foot, whichever you choose, the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Basically saying, look, everywhere I will lead you, it's already yours, Joshua, okay? Everywhere you're going to end up. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and under this great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. What's interesting to note in verse 3 is the fact that there's a, it's interesting, God actually uses the term, he speaks of the promised land with past tense. He says, I have given you. Right? I have given you. Now, for them, it's the future, but for God, it's the past. God's already seen the victories. And what a great assurance that is to you and I as we face futures that you and I don't know what tomorrow holds. We have no clue. 
But God does. God knows. And this is something that should give us great confidence. It should give us a great peace to know that the Lord already knows what's ahead. And God's not looking out for what's going to hurt me, but is looking to help me to grow in my faith and my walk with Him. He wants to use my life. So the future that's coming up that I don't know about tomorrow, instead of being fearful of it, which is a majority of people, Christian and non-Christian, most people face tomorrow with fear. Fear, trepidation, and doubt. That's the way we look at tomorrow. Well, who knows what? We'll see what tomorrow has for us. And God's going, hey, I already know what tomorrow has for us. And Joshua, guess what? I know what, the, what, the, what, the, what Canaan has for you. I know every battle you're going to face. I know the name of every soldier you're going to face. I know the fear that's in their heart already that you don't even know. Joshua, trust me. So we look at this aspect of going into our future, and God's saying, hey, you know what? Hey, there's nothing to fear. Fear is a lack of faith in God. That's exactly what it is. When fear controls our life, it's because we do not trust God. God is trustworthy. He's never given us any reason not to trust Him. Yet, how many of us struggle day to day with fear? Hello, I'm right here with you. We all do. It's our flesh. Our flesh wants to be in control. When our flesh flesh is denied, when our flesh is dead, guess what? We're not not racked with fear. We're filled with faith. And that's what Joshua needs to understand here. Verse 3, he said, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said, unto Moses. So the first thing Joshua does is he reaffirms, God reaffirms his precepts. Now, the reason I'm using, that means words, okay? I need peas, so that's why, <laughs> that's why we're going to use the word precepts. But when you hear the word precepts, understand I'm talking about God's word. He reaffirms his word, okay? Well, the, the whole point of this thing is God simply saying, hey, you know what? I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me, and I want you to trust me. It's already yours, not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, but because I have given it to you out of love. Understand, it is a gift. God chooses to give a gift. Now, gifts that are given to those that are not deserving, we call that grace, right? The reason for giving a gift that's not deserved, that word that we use in describing that is grace. God is a God of grace. And what we find with grace is the fact that throughout this age, now we talk about this being the church age. We also many times will hear this time called the age of grace. Grace, right? We hear that age of grace. But what I need you to understand is the fact that grace has been dispensed by God throughout all of human history. It's an instrumental part of who He is. It isn't just for this time of grace, but understand, many times we hear grace and we we inexorably tie it to salvation, which we should because that's a big part of it. Uh, Romans 3.24 says this, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Salvation, right? He says Romans 5.15, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead. That's the fall of man, the sin of man. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God. So the grace that we receive during this time, the grace that is offering a gift, the gift is salvation. It's imparted through grace. Titus 2.11 says, For that by the grace, as for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Okay? So God's grace, as I said, has shown up in different forms throughout time. From the very beginning, consider Adam and Eve. Did they deserve the Garden of Eden? No. It was God's grace that placed them there and said, Look, not only am I going to give it this to you, but I'm going to give you authority over everything. How about that? What if I just put you in charge of the whole shebang? That's pretty amazing. That's grace, right? We know that Noah received grace. This is is, uh, in uh, in Genesis 6-8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
and grace. Grace to know you, hey, I'm going to make a way of escape for you and your family. This whole world deserves destruction, but you know what? You found grace in my eyes, and I'm going to do it. So I'm going to protect you. We saw it in the story of, uh, of Moses. We saw it in the Exodus in 33, 17. It says this, For wherein shall it be known? This is Moses speaking to God. For wherein shall it be known? Here that I and thy people have found, found grace in thy sight. Is it, is it not in that thou goest with us? He says, look, shouldn't your presence be with us? Shall, shall, we be, shall we be separated? And I and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth? Look, your presence, God, reveals your grace. And the verse 17, then it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing. Also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. So God, as I said, has been dispensing grace from the beginning. And guess what? The promised land is no different. This is a gift that's being offered to them, and it is grace because it is not deserved. We know who these Israelites are because guess who? They picture us. We know who we are. We strip away the veil and all that we show to the world, and we reveal who we really are inside. God says, you know what? The outside, I don't even see it. The Bible says man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. He looks straight through us and all the things we do to hide who we really are and the fears and doubts that we experience and those things that we live with that rack our lives day by day. God says, you know what? I see it all. I know who you really are and I know what you deserve, which is hell. But you know what? By grace, you won't face it. By grace, I'm going to offer you the most amazing gift. And not only will I come because I love you, but you know what? I'm going to die because I love you. I'm going to give my life's blood for you, man. Talk about grace my soul and what motivates grace love love why does God extend grace because he loves us and we know this because God you know what because he is a God of grace he cannot help himself but to bless us even when we're doing right when we're doing right praise the Lord but you know what even when we're not how many of us have experienced God's grace when you know your life wasn't right with God <laughs> we still he still steps in and still saves us from ourselves. Sometimes we're just the most moronic idiots and we're just heading off into destruction. God's like, you know what? I should just let you go, but I'll stop this. All right, come on. And he helps us. Because guess what? God sees us for who we can become, not who we are in the moment. Remember, he sees the future. Praise the Lord. He judges us for that. So God is a God of grace. And we see his grace extended here to Joshua. It's verse 3. And he says that, and he says, that have I given unto you. And then he says this, as I said unto Moses. So every promise I made to prom every promise I made to Moses, guess what, Joshua? I'm making the same promises to you. I'm trust in my words, Joshua. Trust in my word. The very same things that you saw me do through Moses' life, the same miracles, the same impossible things that could not happen. Guess what? I'm with you. Continually, God is reinforcing it and strengthening him. Trust in his word. And what we saw with Moses, what was Moses doing prior to leaving? We saw in Deuteronomy, we saw that God was constantly using Moses to encourage him. He was in strengthening Joshua, saying, hey, you know, get ready, get ready. Be strong and have a good courage. Be strong and have a good courage. Be strong and have a good courage. But what's important to realize is the fact that the kind of encouragement he was receiving was not the kind that engenders self-confidence. It wasn't the kind that makes you personally strong or gives you intestinal fortitude. It was the exact opposite of that. The exact opposite. He's saying be strong and have a good courage because God is with you, Joshua. Not that you're going to be the super talented guy. Guess what, Joshua? You need to be weak in the moment because God's strength will shine in your life if you'll get out of the way. But our culture, what does our culture tell us? Our culture says, you know what? You got this, dude. You got this. 
You got this man. Hey, just stay strong, brother. Stay strong. You, you can do it. You can do it. Is that not what our culture tells us? Is that not what we tell one another? We fall prey to these things and we simply say, you know, man, you can do this, man. You're strong. You're this. You're that. And what we do is we transfer responsibility onto the individual. And that's not it at all. God's doing the exact opposite for Joshua. That's the whole point. He's saying, look, you know, the, the point is he says, God's saying, look, you don't have this. Joshua, you don't have this. But I do. <laughs> you're not strong. But I am. And guess what? You can't do this. But I can and I will. Amen. Confidence, not in self, but in God. This is something that our culture, if we hear nothing else today, we need that message to resonate in our hearts. Because self-confidence is destructive. Self-will is destructive. Intestinal fortitude is destructive. It's countercultural, but it makes sense when we understand who God created us to be, a dependent being, not a strong being. He says that we are made strong. God says, I'm made strong in your weakness. Your weakness is your ad is, is your is your is your is, is a plus. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's something that's what you need. It's the very thing that'll make you successful in this life. Because life is going to be beating you up every day. You're going to be facing battles every day. And if you go into it with your own strength, it is just a matter of time before you will eat the dirt. You'll fly flat on your face and this world will stomp you in the ground. And you'll feel defeated and overcome because you trusted in yourself. And guess what? This thing was not designed for you to get a, to get a victory because of you. The victory is through me. Will God allow us to take the lead? Yep. Can you rush off into battle by yourself? Absolutely. Can you grab your sword and go face the biggest enemies? Sure enough. Absolutely. Won't be the results that we want. But you know what? It's something we need to all be in mindful of. Is the fact that this is a matter of our understanding is we must depend upon the Lord. Our overdeveloped sense of self is our downfall. It is the very road that we find ourselves falling prey to the enemy. I thought about King David. Mighty King David. And man, David had many, many victories. Many victories. Think about it. Every time he was trusting in the Lord, guess what? He came out victorious. Think about this. When he was a young boy facing Goliath, we imagine that picture. We imagine this nine-foot dude standing there like, <laughs> and this little kid going, hey, I'm coming to get you. And we imagine these two pictures of these two coming face to face and this whole thing going down. And we're like, man, oh, man. It's got to be simply because he trusted in God's power, not in his own. Listen to this in 1 Samuel 17, 46. This day... Will the Lord deliver thee, David says, into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David is not dependent upon his strength, his skill, his talent, or his courage. He's walking by faith, not by sight, because there are plenty of Goliaths in this life. That if we allow our fear to take hold and we don't face them by faith, it'll start with a tremble and it'll work its way into our heart and we'll be overwhelmed with fear and we'll drop our rocks and we'll step away and we'll blend into the crowd of soldiers that are all shaking along with us and we would disappear. 
But you see, faith, faith makes you step out. When you hear the trembling armor behind you, and you hold a little stone in your hand, and you face an enemy, that's faith. It's faith. And that's what God's trying to say. Look, you know what? Instill faith in this. Look, it's me. The victories are in me. And David knew this in 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-three. 33. says, God is my strength and power. God is my strength. He maketh my way perfect. Psalm 18, 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer and God, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. He says, look, no matter what I face, I'm not afraid because guess what? It's not me, it's God. How many of us are facing this world in our own strength and we're getting our butts kicked every day? And we're like, why, why, why? And God says, but God gave me promises. Guess what? There's parameters and we're going to see this in a moment. Psalm 18, 32 says this, It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. When David was successful, it's because he was reliant upon God. And when he relied on himself, he fell in defeat. And can I just tell you, man, if there's nothing else that we get today, man, this is important. We need to hold on to this truth. Paul states it this way in Philippians 4, 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. My dependence is not upon me. It's not in my flesh. It's a matter of trusting in the Lord. It will not be his strength, courage, or skill that will give the victory. It will simply be because he chooses to follow and trust the Lord. And here, if we're truly to succeed in this life, it will be because we depend upon God and his word, his precepts, and not ourselves. So the first thing we see is God reaffirms his precepts. He reaffirms his word. And secondly, we'll see that God reaffirms his promise as he gives details about the promised land. Okay, he's going to lay this out to, to tell him. Now understand, they've already been given this. These details were already given back in Deuteronomy or in Numbers 34. God already laid out all the borders of the promised land and he gave it very specifically. There's 12 verses that actually tells very spe specifically exactly where it is. This is kind of a summary of it. And then again in Joshua 15, when we reach there, Joshua 15, verses 1 through 12, God's going to lay out this exact, very, very specific parameters of the promised land. Now, this territory, to give you an idea, um, it's about 60,000 square miles. It's a big chunk of land. 60,000 square miles. It's about 145, 44 miles long. The northern border is about 40 miles wide, and the southern border is about 20 miles wide. Actually, I said that in reverse. No, I'm right. Yeah. I don't know. One of those, 20, 20, 40. It's pretty big. <laughs> but understand, it's a matter of understanding. What reason, why does, why does God give limitations? Why does he tell them the boundaries? What's the purpose of that? Because he says, my promises are limited. This is good, right? This is important to understand. My promises are limited. If you will stay within the borders that I will establish for you, guess what? You cannot lose, brother. You got this thing, man. It's already yours. But if you step over the border and you take on a, a new foe, you're going to be on your own, right? And this is true for us. God has given us a promised land of ours. It's a spiritual one. And he's saying, hey, stay within the parameters that I've established for you. Because understand, if they will stay in those borders, they will thrive militarily, they will thrive spiritually, and they will thrive morally. Militarily, because they're going to conquest against their enemies. Spiritually, because they're going to simply walk in fellowship with God. And then morally, because they're going to be following the law of God. So here they are, living this abundant life. And the borders are in place for a purpose. What's the purpose? To protect them from themselves. To protect them from 
themselves. And guess what? God puts borders in our life and boundaries to protect us from ourselves. How many of us know that we are our own worst enemies? Yeah, big time. If you haven't been alive long enough to figure that out, soon enough you will know that to be true. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 20, listen to this. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? When you hear the kingdom of God, that's talking about the spiritual kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. This is where you come from. But you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. He says, look, there's plenty of things that I could do, but there's not everything. I'm not going to do everything. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. He says, look, I'm not going to have this world have control over me. Meats for the belly and belly for meats, but God shall destroy both in them. He said, look, if I'm going to try to find my value and balance here in the earth, guess what? This is a waste of time. This temporal world is going to burn up. He says, now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. He says, look, am I going to get wrapped up in the world? Here I am, a child of God. Am I going to get caught up in the things of the world? Is that what I'm supposed to do? God forbid. No, that's not what I'm here for. He says, what? Know ye not? He says, know ye not that, that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith, shall be one flesh. Here I am going to, I'm going to ruin my testimony for the cause of Christ because I'm trying to fulfill my flesh in the short term and all this stuff's going to burn up anyway. And these short term things that I think are going to fulfill me, guess what? They're not going to leave me hollow and broken inside. And instead of being broken and used by the world, what if I said, you know what? This body's not for this world. God didn't give me this to fulfill my flesh and what I want, but what he did was he gave it to me. He says, but he that is joined, he says, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. He says sexual sin is even more dangerous because it affects you in such a deep way. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For we are bought with a price, the ultimate price. Therefore, because you're bought with a price, because you're not your own, he says, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He says, I've given you parameters. I've told you what you should do and what you should not do. Live within those parameters and guess what? You will not be defeated. But step outside of those boundaries. And guess what? Defeat is on its way. He says, look, the boundaries are this. Anything that does not glorify God. What's my boundary? Does it glorify God? If we go, hey, I'm not sure how to assess that. Well, hey, it's easy. Think about it this way. Is what I'm about to do going to give God glory? The choice I'm getting ready to make, what is going to be the result? Is God going to be glorified through my choice? Is what I'm about to do, is this something that I should do? Because guess what? God would bless my choice. If Jesus was here and he was put in the same situation as me, would he do what I'm about to do? And we ask ourselves this, and it's easy to evaluate in those moments. The problem is we get caught up in our flesh, right? That's why you warn teenagers when they're young. When you're in the backseat of a car, that's not when you decide if you're going to get involved in sexual sin. Because when you're in the backseat of the car and you're going to make the decision then, guess what? You're getting involved in sexual sin. You may think you're not going to, but when you make the decision in the backseat, 
When your flesh is involved and it's fully reared up and you're fired up in the moment, good luck. That's a decision you make before you get there. You determine in your own heart beforehand, if I'm ever here, this is what I will do. You determine in your heart the choice you will make. And that's the problem because we follow our flesh in the moment. We fall prey to sin. So God gives us boundaries. And if we ask ourselves those questions, what would God do in my same situation? Here they are. The boundaries are here to protect them and to protect us. It's absolutely, absolutely key. So understand, the boundaries are there as God has established them, not to control us, not to, not to, to, to stop us from having fun, but protect us from things that we don't understand. Things that we don't understand, the ramifications of them. How many of us have ever gotten involved in sin and in the moment before you did it, you thought, it's not going to be a big deal. Yet only to find out later on that it was a really big deal. Some of us, it changed the direction of our lives. Altered us in a dramatic way. God reaffirms this promise here not only to encourage the possession of what's to come, but also remind Joshua of the limitations that it has. So first, he reaffirms his precepts. Second, he reaffirms his promise. And then third, he's going to reaffirm his power. Verse 5, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Here the Lord strengthens Joshua and telling him, Look, you know what? Don't even worry about the next battle. <laughs> I know you're thinking about it. You know what's coming up. You probably thought about it, but don't even worry about the next battle because guess what? It's already won. He's not talking about the next battle. He's talking about the ultimate possession, the whole thing. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not, not that we're going to be thinking about Jericho or any of these other cities. I just want you to know that the whole place is yours. God's always playing the long game. God's always playing the big picture. We live in the moment. We live in the moment. I, I heard somebody describe it one time like this. He said, you know, it's like if we look at life, it's like this. It's like a, a, like a what do you call this thing? It's a parade, right? So as a parade goes by, if you've ever gone to a parade, has anybody been to a parade before? Yeah. Okay. So when you go to the parade, you just kind of stand in your little section. And the float that's in front of you is the float that you see. You're like, oh, wow, look, a giant turkey. Cool. Right? But we don't see what's going on here. God's in a helicopter. <laughs> looking down, sees the whole parade. He knows what's already happened and what's way down there yet to come. And that's the great news. But you know what? You and I live in life just like this. And God's saying, hey, look, understand, have the perspective that I'm playing the long game, that I know what's coming and what has already happened. There's a purpose to it. This is true for us as well as for the Israelites. In Romans 8, verses 34 through 39, it says this, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. God's working on our behalf. Who shall separate us from love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Listen, even though we have all these things against us, all these things that want to stop us, God's protected us. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than conquerors. Not just conquerors. More than conquerors. We're confident conquerors. We're not going in hoping we're going to win. We know we're going to win. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. When our battles in this life, when they come to an end, and when the dust settles, 
we will be victorious. Not because of us, but because of God. Not because of this godly person that we have become. And because what happens is people get caught up in, in religious action and attitude. And this is where legalism comes in. Where people start to try to live an outward view or an outward picture of religion or an outward picture of God. And God says, look, I'm not concerned with the outward. I'm concerned with the inward. If you dress the part and act the part and speak the part, but your heart is far from me as the, as the Pharisees struggled, right? He says, look, your words... Oh, man, you got great words. I'd love to listen to what you're saying, Pharisees. But the problem is your words don't mean what your heart's telling me. Your heart is far from me. And you got so many Christians that are out in the world. Christians. Christian doesn't mean that you're saved. It means that you're Christ-like. There's a lot of people that are saved that are not Christians because they don't look like a Christian. They don't act like a Christian. The fruit of the Spirit does not come out of their life. The Bible says the fact that the fruit of the Spirit, that's an evidence of what's in our hearts. If my heart is surrendered to God, then guess what? God will flow out of me. But if I'm not surrendered to God and I'm walking in my flesh, I can pretend, but it's not real. And guess what? As far as God's concerned, I may as well do nothing. I may as well be involved in sin because you know what? It has no value. We need to trust the Lord and let him guide our lives. So as we look at the victories that are ahead, remember the qualifier that God gave in this verse. He gave the boundaries. He set the boundaries. He said, look, okay, okay, what this means. In essence, saying this, as long as you face your enemies within the boundaries I've established, both physical and spiritual, you'll be victorious. We could say it this way. If we're going to fight our battles, doing it according to God's will, we will not be overthrown. But if we do it in our will, and not God's will, in our time, not God's time, with our power and our, our perseverance, we're not going to succeed. So we face our enemies. We talked about last week, it's the world, the devil, and our flesh, right? We face them. We need to face them within the boundaries that God established for us. Because there is a fight. I can promise you that. Every day when you wake up, you're heading into battle. Every day. That's why we're supposed to put on the armor of God. Because you're going to battle. You can go in and be victorious, man. You can walk in with confidence, or you can walk in with fear. What happens with a person who's fearful? Because what fear does, fear fights faith, right? Well, it's called the shield of faith. And if I go to battle like this, the Bible talks about the fiery darts of the wicked one, man. If the shield's up like this, man, I got no problem. All I hear is ting, 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 ting. They're just firing away. It's like, I don't even feel it. There's no heat. There's no nothing. There's not any resistance whatsoever. It doesn't matter. But the problem is when I start doing this, because fear starts to take hold, and it gets lower and lower, See, the shield's the only one that's a variable. All the rest of them you wear, but the shield you carry. Yeah. And so my fear causes my faith to fall. And what's the shield's purpose? It's to cover all of your vulnerabilities. Because where the shoulder meets the chest, there's a gap. Where the helmet meets the chest, there's a gap. The waist, there's a gap. There's gaps all over. So when the enemy's coming against me, what do I do? I take my shield of faith and I use it to fill the voids so that the enemy cannot strike. Fear is our enemy, and it's a lack of faith. That's not in my message. That's God just gave that to us. But we can't lose if we do this his way. And then he reaffirms his presence. And this is awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. 
the same way I was faithfully with Moses in the midst of the plagues, in the parting of the Red Sea, in, in, in the provision in the wilderness, in every battle that you face, the same way I was with him, guess what, Joshua? I'm with you. Amen. Don't be afraid. You saw what I did with Moses. You saw it with your own two eyes. Have faith. And you and I in our lives, we see God do amazing things, miraculous things, and yet we fear and we fall short and our faith is wavering because we allow our, what we see to affect our heart. That's why he says walk by faith and not by sight. Don't allow this world to control you. Remember, the goal was not to get them out of Egypt. That's not what this thing was about. The exodus was to, yes, the deliverance, absolutely. The wilderness, which was important because it was supposed to get the Egypt out of them. It was about refining them and get it junk out of them. And that wilderness is that refining process. But now you're at the bordering. It's now. All that stuff's done. Now we're going to move in here. We're going to change. So my goal for you was not just to get you out. My goal was to get you in. That's what God's saying the whole thing, the whole time. When I told you way back in Exodus 3, what did I tell you? I got you out to get you in. <laughs> Exodus 3.8 says this, I come down to deliver them out of the land of Egypt and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the, the mosquito bites, everybody. They're all there, right? <laughs> and he says, look, the reason I brought you out wasn't to get you just out. It was to get you in. That's where you need to set your heart. And the problem with the people that got overthrown in the wilderness is they got caught up with just getting out. And they lost sight of where it is they were supposed to go. And as we reviewed what the Canaan was last week, it's that abundant life with God. A place of joy and of peace and intimacy with the Lord. A place of surrender and submission to God as having lordship over our lives. And here's a struggle that most people face every day. Who is the Lord of your life? Who's on the throne of your life? Who's making the calls? Who's deciding your future? And we go, well, I'm, I'm on the throne of my life. If that's the case, I can tell you this, you ain't heading to the promised land. You're in circles in the wilderness, following your own self, and you'll be overthrown there. And that abundant life that God pointed to you, He knew where it is. He's told you all about it. He's even given you directions and gave you someone to lead you there. And instead of following Him, you went, eh, I don't think so. I'm going to do it my way. And the sad thing is, guess what? There are Christians all over this country that are seeking the abundant life. They hear it and they go, man, yeah, I want that. Oh, yeah. Joy, peace, yeah. And they're searching the Word of God. They're looking for what is they're supposed to do. How do I do it? <laughs> what do I need to do? How much surrender do I need to do? What works do I need to do? How do I need to invest in this or that? How do I get to the abundant life? And the whole point is, God says here, look, look the whole thing is, the same way I brought Moses up out of Egypt is the same way I'll bring you into the promised land. So as we march into the Canaan, into the promised land, Remember, it's the same way we came out. That's what he's saying. The way I brought you out is the way I'm going to bring you in. Amen. It's the same thing. There's not new things to get you to this next level. It's the very same steps that took you to get out of Egypt. That same faith and trust is what you need. Was it through? Did they leave and did they leave Cana or leave Egypt because of their mighty works or because of their strength or their self-reliance or their personal sacrifice or their religious education? No. 
Yet we have Christians that are spending all their time and energy trying to do great works, trying to become strong, trying to be self-reliant, and trying to be in their, their personal sacrifice and their religious works. What am I going to do? 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 And God says, I don't want you to do anything. I want you to surrender. I want you to submit. Because you're the same way that you came out, the same way that I saved you. What did you do to get your salvation? Nothing. <laughs> you just submitted. You said, look, God, I can't do anything here. This ain't on me. I can't do any of it, Lord. I give in. And I trust you fully. And he says, guess what? That's, that's how you get to the abundant life. The very same way. Colossians 2.6 is this. As ye have therefore received Christ. The very same way. As ye have re therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Amen. You want to walk in the abundant life? The very same way you got saved is the very same way you'll preach, you'll approach that abundant life. The way out is the way in. God saves us the same way he gets us to the abundant life. We didn't get saved because of our religious works, our sacrifice, our self-reliance, our religious knowledge. No. It was through submission. By faith, trusting in him for our eternity. And he says that's the same thing, that same level of faith. And then verse 5 finishes with this. I love this, man. There's no more comfort and reassurance in the Word of God than this. This is awesome. I will not fail thee. Listen to that. That is a promise. He says, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Joshua, if you've ever had confidence in anyone, have it in me, brother, because it ain't. You're not the answer. I will not fail thee. But that does not mean that they will not fail him. Right? That's the issue. And as we'll see as we go into the book of Joshua, we're going to watch them fail just in a very short period of time they're going to fail so the parameter is this God says look if you'll do things in your flesh you won't succeed but if you'll do them by faith you will succeed that we, we, we want to do things for God but we want to do them through our through our religiosity or through our, our whatever what we're trying to profess to the world and understand Paul says it so well when Paul's talking about his own flesh his own weaknesses his own issues in Romans seven eighteen, he says this for I know that in me that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Not some good things, no good thing. For the will is present with me. Look, I know what I should do. But how to perform it, that which is good, I, I find not. For whatever reason, in my flesh, I just can't seem to do the right thing. It's impossible for me to live righteously. I just can't do it without God. And that's what he's telling you. Guess what the abundant life is a place of? Righteousness. Holiness. Surrender, submission. Your flesh will never get you there. It'll just get you lost in the wilderness. Just like salvation, we don't work for it. We don't sacrifice for it. We don't take responsibility for it. So when we're striving for the promised land, we get there not because of us, but because of God. And what the Lord's trying to, to, to tell Joshua, what he's trying to proclaim from the rooftops is, look, the same thing. Joshua, not only will I not fail you, but I'll be with you every step of the way. Joshua, I'm in this thing with you. If you'll stick with me, I'll stick with you. I'll never walk away from you. But I can't promise you won't walk away from me. And that's the struggle of the Christian life. As God leads us to where he wants us, our problem is we just can't keep our eyes on him. The same way when Peter walked on the water. The Bible says when he's looking at the Lord, man, he walks on water as if he's walking on dry ground. No problems. Absolutely, man. Exactly like Jesus, walking on dry ground. And then 
The Bible says that he starts to see the wind and the waves. And when his eyes are drawn away from God and his attention is diverted to what he sees instead of what he knows in his heart, immediately he sinks. And there's this amazing picture that in that moment, he says, Lord, save me. And the Bible, the next word that's used in your Bible says, immediately. Immediately. God lifts him up. So when we do find ourselves outside of the parameters, when we do find ourselves in the wilderness, if we by faith will call out to God like that, he'll be there. We don't have to pray and hope that he will one day arrive. Or I've got to get better. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. No, just surrender. Lord, I need you. As he calls us to the promised land, I want you to know that he's proclaiming the same things to us. Because the same God that was on the throne 3,400 years ago as he spoke to Joshua, guess what? He's exactly the same God. Exactly the same grace. The same love, right? Same promises. So he's saying it to us. Hebrews 13, 8 says this, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same promises. The same promises of presence and protection. Guess what they're giving to us? Listen to this in Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So what? He says, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. So here God says, look, my presence is there. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. And guess what? I'm going to protect you. The Lord is my helper. And I will fear, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I don't care what this world has to say because I will not be afraid. I will trust in the Lord. The very same thing he's telling Joshua, he's telling us. Yet we live every day in fear because we don't trust God. And so here he is reaffirming to Joshua again and again. I'm reaffirming my precepts to you. I'm reaffirming my power to you. I'm reaffirming my present, my promise to you. And guess what? My presence. Wherever you go, Joshua, I will be there. Your confidence does not need to be in yourself. It needs to be in me. Because the way out is the way in. And the battles in the promised land against our enemies, guess what? Our enemies are dangerous. The battles are real. And we're literally fighting for our lives. The stakes could not be higher. Because the way the devil affects us affects the people we're supposed to reach. Our life is supposed to have ripple effect and touch other people. How many of us know when our life is not right with God, we know that we have purpose, we have unintentionally impacted people for negative purposes. We've unintentionally impacted people's lives with our lack of faith, with our fear, with our sin. And they've watched us and they've seen the result in their own life. And God says, look, if you'll do it my way, if you'll honor me and if you'll live for me, that's why he says, let your light so shine, man. It doesn't say it's going to happen. We've got to let it happen. There's a light within us. Let it out, he says. Let it impact the life of someone else. Let it make a difference when someone's in the darkness and they see a little glimmer of light and they go, who is that? Who is that? At your workplace, someone's in the deepest, darkest hole in their life and they see a glimmer of light from you and it's not you. It's God. When it's us, it's darkness. We just look like everybody else. But when it's light, man, it touches their heart. And all of a sudden, hope comes to a heart that's hopeless. And a broken person thinks, could I be restored? 
because of us. Not because of us. Not because of who we are. But because of whose we are. Right? The light of the Lord shines. Like I said, we're about to enter a fight for our lives. As we stand with the wilderness behind us. Right? And we stand at the border of the promised land looking ahead. And God said, hey, I'm trying to encourage you. Follow Joshua. Here we go. We're going forward. This thing's already won. Trust me. Understand the fight is real, but the victory is also real. You just need to claim it before you get there. In our lives, we're facing battles, no doubt about it. The promised land. And what happens now? See, we'll determine whether or not we're going to go into it and be conquered or to conquer, right? Because there will be some that don't make it. There'll be some that enter the promised land and they don't make it because when the battles came, they didn't follow God. They were affected by their fears and their doubts. So as we do this, as we enter in, what will determine whether or not we're conquered or conquering will be how well we follow this picture of Jesus, Joshua. Will we believe God's precepts? Will we trust his promise? Will we depend upon his power? His power? And will we embrace his presence? See, there's an abundant life for us. It's a place of joy and of peace and of comfort. That's what God has for us. He's already prepared it for us. Remember, he said it's already been given. The problem is we don't experience it because we don't trust him. Will we go into the battles? Trusting ourselves? Or will we enter the battlefield of this Christian life filled with confidence in God? Because God is with us. That's the key. We won't succeed because of our strength. We'll succeed because of our dependence upon God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today and God for giving us, uh, Lord, a beautiful, beautiful example through Joshua what it means, Lord, to be submitted. Lord, of what it means to, to hear the promises of God. Lord, to trust in your word. To, Lord, listen to your promise. To trust in your power, Lord, and to embrace your presence. God, you promise that you're with us no matter what we face. Lord, I pray that you help us to have the confidence, God, to go into this world. Not to hear the message today and go back out and be caught up in our fears and our doubts and allow our faith to waver. But, Lord, help us today. Help us to step out. And as adversities come, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, whatever form they may be, they are nothing more than a fight that you've already brought the victory for. God, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. God, there's nothing coming that you've not already seen, that you've not already made a way of escape for us. God, I pray that you'll help us to hold on to that truth and Lord, help us, God, to realize that when we walk in your will and your way, we will be victorious. If we'll stay within the boundaries that you set for us in our life, we will be victorious. But if we allow our fears to take hold and we step outside of the boundaries that you've given us, defeat is inevitable. We specialize in defeat as a people. And you, Lord, you specialize in victory. Help us, God, to be victorious out of faith, not overthrown by fear. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I, I don't know where I stand with God. Listen, 19 years ago, I did not have a relationship with God. I had never been in church my whole life. I'd never heard the gospel truth. 
the gospel message to the church age, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ offered by grace, by love of God. And I received it, 2001, August 11th. And if you've never received Christ, if there's never been a time in your life where you can say, you know, I know, I know who I was and I know who I am today. God changed my life. He intervened and saved my soul because I made a choice to receive him. There's never been a time like that in your life. You need that moment. Because guess what? We're not promised tomorrow. Every one of us could slip off into eternity today. And if you do not have a relationship with Christ, there is no hope. But while you're still alive, there is hope. And as he reaches out to you today, he wants you to receive the greatest gift ever given. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The salvation of the Lord. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, understand it's not a matter of a religious ceremony. It's not, it doesn't take a preacher. It doesn't take anything. You can be online. You can be watching this recording. You can be in your car. It's nothing more than giving your heart to the Lord, trusting and understanding that you are lost and undone without Christ. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all eaten up with the same issue of sin. And what does sin do? It separates us from God. And yet, even though we were in sin, the Bible says, yet in sin, God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us in spite of who we are. And here he offers the gift of salvation. How do we receive it? The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gift is nothing more than it has to be chosen to be received by the individual. The gift has already been offered. Jesus has already paid the price. It's up to us to receive it. August 11, 2001, I received it, and God changed my eternity, and this is your day. You can receive him as well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. As I said, it's not a religious ceremony or a magic prayer. It's not about that. It's about your heart being given to the Lord. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive him, you know you're lost, and you want to receive Christ. By faith, he's asking you to call out to him. He's here for you. He loves you, and he's waiting. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Just repeat after me. But understand, if you don't mean what you say, don't waste your breath. But if you do want to receive Christ, repeat after me and call out to God. He's listening. With their heads bowed, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm, I'm so sorry for my sin. I understand that it separates me from you for all of eternity. I'm asking you right now to forgive me of those sins. I'm asking you to pay the price that I could not pay. I'm asking you to save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for loving me. I will see you one day in heaven. Thank you for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the gift. Help me live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.